helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Canadian Certified Counselor and Award-Winning Psychotherapist. Hi, this is Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services, and I want to thank you for joining us in this episode of the Life Transformation Show. Today we have another interesting show lined up for you, and this show is tailored to the season of Easter that we are going through. Yes, this show is entitled The Psychology of Easter. We're going to be looking at Easter from the Christian perspective, and we're going to be looking at some of the life lessons that we can learn from the Easter season. And with me in studio today is the wonderful Melissa Wagod. Melissa, welcome again to the Life Transformation Show, and thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here with us again on this show. It's always great to join you, Michael, and happy Easter to you and happy Easter to our listeners out there. We look forward to getting to share this different perspective than hopefully you've heard in the past about the Easter story. Yes, but why don't we tell the listeners a little bit about who we are, because we might be taking it for granted that people have tuned into this show before. So if you are new to the, if, if if this is your first time tuning into this show, this is the Life Transformation Show. I'm your host, Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services. Elim is a professional counseling organization that provides professional counseling from a Christian perspective. If you would like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at elimcounselingministry.com. Elim is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. You can also call us at 613-699-1677. We'll be happy to hear from you. And thank you very much for joining us in this episode of the Life Transformation Show. And the other thing you wanted to speak about, Michael, before we get into today's topic was another thing that Elim Counseling Services and Elim Counseling Ministries, the reason we can do what we can do through this ministry, things like offering this radio show, having reduced rates for people who need counseling and are in desperate need is through the thoughtful donations of people like yourself. So if you feel called and led to give uh, a little bit, if you've been blessed by this radio show or the ministry as a whole, we do encourage you to um, give us a call and donate what you can. Every little bit helps. Um, We do have the ability to write out um, receipts as well. So if that's something that um, also helps you with your donation, we um, just want to offer that as well. So if you want to give us a call for a donation, you can give us a call at 613-699-1677, or you can also go through our website at elamcounselingministry.com. Anything else you want to add, Michael? Yeah, I, there? I totally <laughs> took over. I just Sorry. want to clarify there that we are a not-for-profit organization. Yes. We don't have a charitable status. So we are not able to give uh, tax-deductible receipts, but uh, we can give receipts for the donation, but it's not a tax-deductible receipt. We're a non-profit organization, so donations are very important to us to be able to continue the work that we do. So if you have not donated in the past, please consider making a donation to us. And you can donate to us by going to our website. Our website is elimcounselingministry.com. And without further ado, I'd like to get into the show today, Melissa. So today's show is about the psychology of Easter, and I want to be looking today focusing on three primary uh, lessons, three important reality that the Easter story brings to us as believers. And and sort of like we did off the top, not taking for granted that people know who we are when we're speaking, you also wanted to speak a little about uh, the Easter story, because maybe not everyone knows it. I know it's a time of year, and for us as Christians, it's a really right, important right, story that yes. we probably all have ingrained in our head. Yes. But what is Easter all about, and what can we learn from it? 
I think that is such an important uh, point, Melissa, because sometimes we take for granted that everybody understands the Easter story. And if you if you search online for Easter, I think what will come up a lot in the search is Easter bunnies and chocolates and, you know, the Easter traditions that different uh, cultures have. But uh, lost in all of that is the Christian perspective of Easter. And today we'll be focusing on the Christian perspective of Easter. So in a nutshell, the Easter story is about the, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus came to earth. Uh, the Bible tells us that he was God in the, that took on flesh, became man. And he started preaching the gospel, which he called the gospel or good news. And as a result, he got persecuted for, for it. And it, this eventually led to his untimely death at age 33, where he was crucified, hung on a cross and executed for the, the message that he preached. So the Easter story is about that death. And it's also about the resurrection because part of that Easter story, the biblical story, is that Jesus not only died, but that after three, three days, he rose from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God. So that's the story that we're talking about today. And I would like to, to, to look at three different perspectives of that story to bring out some, some truth that I think can help us as believers as we go through life. And so what's the first story that you wanted to pull from this that we can apply to our lives today? The Easter story, I think, uh, first of all, is about being able to let go of broken dreams. The disciples, the men and women who followed Jesus had a certain dream of what life would be like with Jesus. And they had a dream of things that Jesus would accomplish. They had a national vision as well as to what Israel as a nation would become as a result of Jesus. But all of those dreams got broken when he was executed when he when he was crucified on the cross and we can kind of hear the pain of two of these disciples as they talk about this on the road to, to Emmaus in in Luke 24 verse 21 when they said to 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 this man who had come up beside them that he, they said quote we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel past tense we had hoped. So in other words, that dream that they had of Jesus being the one who would redeem Israel was now dashed to pieces. And I think for those of us who have had dreams of ours dashed to pieces, Easter is about that time where we too can reflect on broken dreams. The disciples had to come face to face with their broken dreams. Broken dreams are particularly more uh, at the forefront of our lives as we get older. As you age, you start realizing that maybe you're not going to end up being on, on, on this United Nation council or you're not going to make it to be the, the Prime Minister of Canada if that was your dream before. You're not going to be the CEO of your company. And so for many people as they age, it can be this time of despair where these broken dreams can cause them to come to this place where they're feeling 
I am not going to do many of those things in life that I wanted to do. But the Easter story is that broken dreams doesn't have to end in bitterness. And so as you said, Michael, we often think about broken dreams being when you're later in life and you're reflecting off past experiences that didn't happen. What kind of broken dreams do younger people have, if any? That's a very good question, Melissa. And I think it, it's important to realize that not just older people face broken dreams, but I think for younger people, broken dreams can take the form of realizing that you're not going to make it to the pro league. Maybe growing up, you had this vision of you're going to play pro soccer, you're going to make it in the NHL, or you know, you're going to have what to make it to the top of your sport profession. But younger people oftentimes in late teens come to this reality that the window of opportunity has passed. I'm not going to play men's soccer for Team Canada. I'm not going to make it in the NHL. And so for a lot of of younger people, that too, especially if you were very talented, especially if you felt as if you had all that that it it, it takes to make it to, to those high levels, it can be a time of despair where people look on their life in regret and bitterness. And what I have found from my practice of counseling uh, people, I see people in their 40s and 50s who are coming to me still grieving for things that they didn't achieve in the arena of sport in their in their teenage years. But for younger people, it doesn't necessarily only have to be in the arena of sport. Broken dreams can also be about relationships. For example, uh, life can be slipping away at a very young age where as a young woman, you start realizing I'm never going to be a mother because of either infertility or because of the fact that you have just not been able to find the right partner. And the Easter story is that we don't need to run away from our broken dreams. We need to face our broken dreams and deal with it. The disciples had to face their their broken dreams. They had to come to terms with what happened. And so it's very important if you're listening to this show today and you can identify with broken dreams in your life. The Easter message is calling you to face those broken dreams head on and start looking at, at, at these broken dreams in a way that brings resolution to them. And as I said before, broken dreams doesn't necessarily mean that your life is worse off. In the midst of broken dreams can come new meaning. And so the first reality that you've put out there is the the Easter story reminds us about broken dreams and letting those things go. What's another reality that's you know, Before I go forward? to the next reality, I'd like to just uh, talk a little bit about the, this broken dream because out of, out, of hap- out of this broken dream can come new happiness, can mm. come new horizons, can come new opportunities. But it all depends on how you face that broken dream. And... It, it, there's a there's a beautiful example of this in in the the story of the Lion King, where 
you know, I, I watched that Lion King movie about 50 times. It <laughs> was when my, my children were younger and, you know, they were at that age where they always want to watch Lion King. So I'm very familiar with the, with the story. So, so we have this this very powerful scene in, in the... Maybe one day we can do a show on the Lion King because I think there are so many messages <laughs> I there. know the whole soundtrack, Michael, so I don't di- get I me digress, started. But let me go, let, I digress, but let me go to the main point here I'm making. So in the movie, you have Scar, who is the villain in, in the movie, and he has just orchestrated the death of Mufasa, which is Simba's father, and he's given this speech uh, as he as he's, he's supposed to take over the throne as the new king. And he said these profound words in in the movie. They, they, they put these words in the mouth of Scar. It says, "Yet out of the ashes of this tragedy, we shall rise to greet the dawning of a new era." And I think those are profound words because I think all of us, despite the circumstances that you have been through, regardless of how hard it might have been, regardless of how painful the, the, the situation might have been, out of the ashes of that tragedy, you can greet the dawning of a new era. And that's so reflected in the Easter story because as they're, they're grieving the loss of Jesus, Little do they know that three short days later, a new era will be Absolutely. be occurring. Absolutely. But it's happening in the background without yes. their knowledge. Yes. And if they gave up or ran away at that moment, those three days later wouldn't have that impact. And what looked like utter defeat mm-hmm. and, and, and destruction and tragedy, the Easter story turned all of that into something beautiful. Because out of that story, we now have a movement that started that over 2,000 years later we are here, we are still talking about Jesus Christ and many of us are finding hope mm-hmm. in our life because of our faith belief in Jesus Christ. So the Easter story is a very powerful example that the heartache that you're facing right now doesn't necessarily signify the end. The broken dreams that you have been through doesn't signify the end. It can be the beginning of a new era. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Life Transformation Radio Show. Today we are talking about the psychology of Easter from the Christian perspective, and we're picking apart this story to find some truths that we can apply to our lives today. We are on each week, Mondays at 9.30. And if you want to find out more about this show, if you missed the first half, we encourage you to check out our website at elamcounselingministry.com. Elam is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. Or you can also give us a call for a taped version at 613-699-1677. So, Michael, you just summed up the the broken dreams piece of the Easter story. What's the next um piece of this story that you wanted to draw the out The second for us. important part of this Easter story and this, this message that we're calling the psychology of Easter is accepting grief and loss as a reality. And so we have this ver- these very powerful words that are found in Luke 23 verse 46 and it says in verse 46 that Jesus called out with a loud voice Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last breath. And I think this is this is very important because those of us who have been with anyone who is dying know how very final that last breath feels like to us. 
So you're watching this person take in, breathe out, and then not take in again. And when you're with someone who is dying, especially it's a, if, it's, if it's a family member or a loved one, you get to this place where you realize that's it. Death has occurred. The relationship that I have with that person is never going to be the same again. So there is a finality to death. There is a painful reality to death. And as a result of that, there are times when we can try to avoid it. But the Easter story brings us face to face with death and say, we don't have to run away from death. We don't have to pretend as if it didn't happen because they're making it very clear that yes, Jesus did die. He breathed his last breath. And you've actually been able to identify a bit of a model or practice that we can apply to our lives today for grief and death from the Easter story. So what kind of things should we be doing when we're confronted with death? Because the reality is we're all going to experience it personally for those around us but and ourselves. So how do we come to terms with death? I think we come to terms with death in, in, in three ways. I think, I think the first way is for us to, number one, accept it as a reality. A- accept the fact that it has happened, that the relationship with that person has fundamentally changed. It's not going to be the same, but it, it's important for us to realize that the relationship is not ended. Because death doesn't end the relationship, it changes it. The relationship continues in a new way because the memory of that deceased person will always be with you. This person will always be a part of your life. So the psychology of the Easter story is that, yes, Jesus died, but in the midst of that death, even after he breathed his last breath, there was still a relationship that continued with the disciples. And the relationship, yes, it was fundamentally changed. They no longer walked with him in a physical sense. But we are told that there was the spirit of Jesus that continued. And I think in that it's very important for us to remember that even when we have lost loved ones, it doesn't necessarily spend the end of the relationship. What it spends, what what it's it doesn't spell the end of a relationship. What it spells is the beginning of a new kind of relationship. The second point is that mourning correctly is about accurately remembering the deceased person, not forgetting. And I think there are many times when we, in, in, in because of the pain and the heartache of death, we try to forget. But notice that Jesus, in speaking to his disciples in the last supper that he had with them, we are told that he took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So that's a very important point and that's very healthy because I think if we try to forget people that we love, our brain is not wired to forget people we love. Our brain is wired to remember. So Jesus called on his disciples to remember and he's saying, keep my memory alive. So one of the most powerful thing you can do if you have loved ones who have deceased is as you go through this Easter season, reflect on what last Easter was like when this person was around. Reflect on what past Easter's was when this person was a part of your family tradition. And and to the flip side of that, I was wondering, 
what happens when we we try to forget? What are the the negative consequences of that? How is it exhibited? Because it must come out in some way when we try to push that memory aside. I think when we try to forget and we try to push the pain away, we enter into in, into uh, grief gone awry, where there is what what in psychological terms is called complicated grief, where many years later people are still feeling intense emotional pain, or they just never feeling feel any pain because they go into denial. But we we don't have that in the gospel story. What we have, we we are we are told of the disciples' sadness. We have the pictures of the disciples, you know, wanting to go back to their former life because Jesus is dead, they're mourning, they're grieving. It was a reality that this took place. So I think it's important for us as we confront uh, the, the, the loss caused by death to, to see it as a reality, to get in touch with those feelings and those strong emotions and not try to push it away. How does spirituality play into all of this? I think it's it's important for us to remember that our spirituality is, is not a way of of replacing grief. It helps us in grieving, but it does not replace it. And I think there are many times where we tend to tend to think that if we are spiritual enough, then a few months after our loved one has passed away, then we shouldn't be sad anymore. We should be rejoicing. Or even even the day of the funeral, there are some people that think it should be like we should be joyous and celebrating on the on the day of the funeral. But I find that this is very contrary to to biblical uh, biblical culture of grieving. So. So to that end, what did grief look like in Bible times? How did people express their grief? I think the best way to look at it is that the way people look at grief in Bible times is the opposite of how we look at grief today. I think in in our time, we tried to go through it as happy as possible. In biblical times, they tried to make it as sad as possible. So to begin with, on the day that the person die, there would be a loud wail that would be given out from the household of the deceased person. And and this is this is, is also noted in 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 the, the, the book in the Old Testament as well, in Exodus twelve thirty, we are told that Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. So what happened is that the firstborn of every household had just died. And at the same time, and this led to everyone screaming out in unison at the same time because this was part of the culture. So people didn't try to keep that private. They didn't try to, to make it pleasant. There was a, a loud wail that was given out. And this wail would continue even until the time of the burial. So we are told that there are there were even mourners that would be part of the part that professional mourners in some cases. So in Mark 5 verse 38, for example, we are told that when Jesus came to the house of the rule of the synagogue, he seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. So in other words, when Jesus came to, to the house of this ruler, it wasn't like, oh, we live such a wonderful life. Let us celebrate his passing. Let's have a party. No, it was he is dead. And we are mourning, we are we are weeping. But I think in today's 
in today's culture, we tend to have this feeling that if you're spiritual enough, you should go to death with a smile on your face. You should go to, to loss of a loved one, I mean, with a smile on your face. And you should be rejoicing that your loved one is in heaven. But that's not healthy grieving. So what would be a healthy version? I know you're not advocating us hiring professional mourners. <laughs> so what would be a healthy today version of mourning? I think we, if we look at it this way, that we have a range of emotions. And those range of emotions are given to us by God himself. And the emotions are for particular types of events. So if you're happy, if something good happened, you should be happy. If something sad happened, the appropriate emotion is sadness. So when we try to create this this kind of attitude that if you're spiritual enough, you shouldn't be sad, then what we have happening is that we're, we're, we are suppressing emotions. And then that leads to all other kind of pre- problems like depression, anger, uh, and so forth, suicidality, and all range of other things. So I think we need to use appropriate emotions to express things in the way that the, that the Bible, that, that God has given us to to, to do. So what's the last part of the Easter story you wanted to talk about this morning? The Easter story is also about hope. A big part of the story is that the death was not the final the final chapter in the Easter story. The Easter story ended in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're almost out of time today and I think we're going to do another show on hope because hope is very, very important to you overcoming whatever broken dreams you have had in life. Hope is very, very important to you to be able to deal with the loss of a loved one. Hope is very, very important for you to remain positive even when life looks like it is falling apart. In one one research that they have just done uh, on hope, they find that people who maintain hope that they were more likely to be healthy, they're more likely to to partake in healthy behaviors, they're more resilient, they even heal faster than people who don't have hope. So I don't know what you're going through today uh, in this Easter season, but my message to you is that the Easter story, the Christian message, is a message of hope, and that regardless of what you've been through, you can have hope. I think that's a very appropriate way to end today's radio show. Thank you so much, Michael, for sharing that. And really, as you ended up there, cling to that hope. The message of Easter is hope. And we wish you a very happy and healthy Easter season. And thank you very much for listening. And so until next time, this is your host, Michael Hart of Elam Counseling Services. And Melissa Waggett. Praying together that God would bless you in all your relationships and keep you sound in mind and pure in heart. Mm -hmm.